equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the Independent Media and Politics Podcast. It is Saturday the 15th. I had to check my desktop uh, to confirm that. Today we're going to be talking about uh, the new campaign from uh, People Against Prisons Aotearoa, uh, Care Not Cages. We've got a guest for that. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the really bizarre and worrying rhetoric coming out of right-wing political parties around justice and we're going to cover the ludicrous announcement by Chris Hipkins earlier in the week about a wealth tax. Welcome to the cast, everybody. Uh, we are joined by a political outreach coordinator from Papa, uh, Finlay. Welcome. Thank you for coming along. Thank you for having me. And youth health nurse practitioner, Mikey. Good day. Welcome back. Thank you for inviting me back. Yeah. Ah, look. Um, it was close, uh, but we were desperate. <laughs> you know what? That's the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 like my love life is based on that principle. So that's great. That's hey, fantastic. look, we just, we're going to keep it rolling. Let's <laughs> let's start off with care not cages. So this was uh, launched on Monday. Uh, there was a live stream uh, during which. A, a few different people uh, were talking to it and explaining what the campaign was going to be focused on, what its goals were going to be. Um, a lot of really fantastic stories uh, from people who had interacted with the justice system. Uh, but Finlay, did you want to give us a quick rundown for those of us in the audience who haven't seen anything about this yet? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we had launched this campaign on Monday. Um, it's been something that's kind of in the works and we've talked about for a while that really we need a better approach to justice and a better approach to social harm. We have for decades really known that what we're doing isn't really working. It doesn't prevent crime. It doesn't uh, reduce recidivism. Um, it doesn't really uh, support people who have been harmed particularly well. Um, it doesn't really focus on the needs of victims. Um, and it is obviously like fundamentally a racist system. And over you know the last 50, 60 years, there's been a variety of reports that have been done and recommendations, and they continue to be uh, ignored by the government. Um, and the primary focus of the campaign is around the recommendations that were released in the Tudupi Tudupi report um, released in 2019 by the uh, Safe and Effective Justice Advisory Group, Te Uipu Apaiteora. Um, they spoke with communities across Aotearoa um, about what kind of justice system they want and the current problems with the justice system and what we need. And really the one of the big things that came out of it is that a lot of us really want something different. We want really transformational change to change the way that we address uh, social harm at every level from 
um, things that happen for someone uh, you know, might end up uh, hurting someone or you know, there's kind of, a, I guess, a variety. Um, some of the things that are crimes, but this is coming out as a weird sentence. <laughs> um, there are various things that, I guess, drive people towards crime. A lot of it comes from under-resourcing, uh, lack of access to uh, particularly health, but also education um, and other like, well-being services. Um, and so what can we do before, I guess, crime happens? What can we do? as it's happening and after it's happening, down to prisons, courts, kind of everything, really. Um, and as part of this report, they released 12 recommendations to fundamentally change what we do and how we approach justice. And so this was released in 2019 after I believe Andrew Little organised it. And like a lot of uh, working group um working groups that the government have, I guess, asked to address problems has subsequently kind of just been ignored. And so really what we're trying to say is like, hey, we this research has been done, this consultation has been done. We know what we want and we know what we need. So it's time for the government to actually do it. It's it's kind of a an ongoing joke, um, just how often we've had reviews for, for multiple things come, come out with yeah, you know, costing millions of taxpayer dollars, but and coming up with like some incredibly good recommendations that the government then feels there isn't what's the other fucking term? There isn't political capital to implement. And and as you say, this is uh, a range of stuff that we've known for decades, uh, and especially given that a lot of this is about. Uh, the lack of space for, for victims um, and the way in which uh, a lot of that gets sidelined instead of focusing on and implementing, you know, these reports for which the purpose is to transform the justice system. We have uh, groups like, I can't even remember any of their names off the top of my head. They, there are so many of them. Um who, who make a big show and dance about uh, victims first. Um, mm. What about the victims? Uh, why are we uh, giving people more food in prisons um, when we should be doing victim support more, which mm. run completely counter to this, but somehow manage to completely capture the discourse and the way this stuff is framed up. Have you got any insight into why, despite this consistent work in this space, these very clear issues with the way that we do justice and these very clear recommendations, it's just, oh, and, and the like wide public support <laughs> for, for this stuff once again. And, you know, we're seeing this, I mentioned this a lot, but we're seeing this with so many issues right now. The public is far more progressive, uh, the people at the top of politics why why hasn't this shifted yet? I mean, how is this campaign going to kind of try and get past that? That's a really big question. Well, the first part is a really big question. <laughs> I think that uh, the idea of like victims' rights and prioritizing victims is a very useful, slightly manipulative tool um, that the right can use. And there are there's no one right approach for people who have been harmed. Um, 
and there's a lot of rhetoric around particularly things like the Bail Amendment Act being what as a way of protecting victims by ensuring, I guess, that more than a third of people in prison haven't actually been convicted of the crime they're supposed to be there for. Wait, what? what? Oh, what, what? Um, <laughs> I didn't know this one. Prior to the Amendment Act in 2013, the burden of proof was essentially the opposite of what it is now. So it would have to be proven that the person seeking bail um, would be a danger to the community um, if they were released on bail. Uh, whereas now, um, since the law has changed, you have to prove that you, the burden of proof is on uh, the defendant to say that they are not a threat or uh, to the community if they're on, released on bail. And so our remand population is the most recent I've seen is now 40% of the total prison population. Wait, these are what? So these are people who haven't been charged? Have been charged, haven't been convicted. Haven't been convicted. Yeah, of the crime. And they're in the, and they're in the standard prison population? No, it's separate, okay. um, which also means that they don't have access to the same kind of rehabilitation programs. It's separate, so it's worse. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, 40%. Think, yeah. In women's prisons, I believe it's higher. I believe particularly for Wahine Māori, it might be over 50%. Um, but it is like a deeply messed up part of our prison system that is so much of our prison population is people who haven't been convicted of the crime that they're supposedly there for. And people cycle in and out very quickly. And also at times, you know, people might be there for over a year. It's But over a year and yeah. haven't been convicted. Yeah. Yeah, it's very serious breach of human rights. And so as well as the, the bill coming in and the, the rules, the burden of proof changing, is the bar also just like ridiculously high to for that proof? I believe so. It's um, I know one of the reasons it's so high uh, among... Uh, women in prison is because of the idea of them being a threat to the children in the house that they live with, not necessarily for abuse, but things like drug use in particular. Um, well, it can be argued, I guess, that it's not safe. So it's not this automatic assumption, I guess, is that you should be in prison rather than not be in prison while waiting for your trial. That's horrific. And it is difficult to. So, yeah, sorry, I, I sidetracked you there. Um, but right. I think that's, that's really important context, just like mm. how messed up some of the stuff is around, yeah. um, especially, you know, uh, protecting the victim. Um, mm. And that's severe systemic impact. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess just to get back on track, like how, how do we, how does Care Not Cages cut through that that sense within the justice system and and within um kind of the political and media space given how it currently stands um there's sort of two sides of it one is just talking to ordinary people particularly like at the launch uh julia fight talked about like the cup of tea kind of conversations like talking to your whanau talking to your friends talking to neighbors about things that you care about and things that are important to you and trying to focus on like taking the conversation away from a place that's 
very narrow and about like what do we do in this specific situation and where there's a lot of kind of fear I guess involved in that conversation and to say like well like what are our visions what do we actually want there's a lot of shared values that we all have like we kind of want to live in a place where everybody's well-being is prioritized and where people can meet their basic needs and there are yeah places that people can go when they're struggling and there's real support for particularly like trauma and drug use and other mental health issues and just yeah like what is this kind of end goal of like a better society (laughs) um that we can have and like how do we get there because what we're doing doesn't get us there and we've been doing it for a long time and it has failed to get us there um like we've been it kind of swings back and forth, I guess, the idea of this like tough on crime thing, but we start saying, oh, we need to get tougher. And then it doesn't work. And we say, well, we, uh, we fucked that one up. Well, <laughs> I guess we didn't get tough enough. Yeah. And it just keeps kind of swinging back and forwards and still nothing's really changing. But actually, like, we know a lot of the things that drive crime. We, there's been, yeah, a lot of work done on it. We know the kind of things that make people more likely to offend and less likely to offend. And we kind of ignore them. <laughs> Um, there's no real, it's, I don't know if ambulance at the bottom of the cliff isn't quite the right it's word too for it. Cause it's not really an right? ambulance. Yeah. Like <laughs> um, it's too big to just, to just yeah. consider it an ambulance. Right. Um, in the yeah. same way that you might, uh, talk about a welfare check being an mm. ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Right. Like yeah. this is something that has seeped into and become part of so many sectors of society. Mm. Um, that it's an ambulance underselling it. Yeah. And I think um, a big part of the recommendations of the report are sort of divided into three like sections. Um, the first one is commit. And in a way, I think that's possibly one of the hardest ones to do. Like the first recommendation is for a cross-parliamentary accord of political parties to kind of focus on real solutions that work and to stop kind of exploiting the like real harm that is happening and also kind of feeding and creating fear to like win elections and that kind of short-term game that they can use it but it's also about kind of getting the government to work together like we have a very kind of siloed approach to social harm where there was quite a good example of it i think in the last parliamentary term anyway i don't know the year specifically but when he was justice minister, Andrew Little sort of came out against Housing New Zealand for denying housing to people on, on the word, on parole, um, and saying that, like, essentially people are trying, in order to get parole, you generally need to have housing, and they were denying housing to people and it was keeping people in prison. So it's this, and we also know that the reason that you essentially need housing to get parole is because you are less likely to offend if you have a home that you can go to but we also have no interest in providing homes for people and so there's lots of kind of potential off ramps right that you could have for people before they end up harming other people or but there's not really we've kind of closed all of those at the moment so it's essentially like you've started on this path and now that's kind of it we're just going to funnel you in to the criminal justice system and you will quite often end up being trapped there yeah the the second series is uh, to empower, which is really about empowering victims, ensuring that victims have 
the support that they need, including people to support them as they go through the justice system to ensure that they have you know, someone advocating for them and that their own, like what they want out of the process uh, is something that they can have some control over. Um, is also kind of empowering communities and ensuring that communities have resources and power to actually deal with problems themselves rather than having to rely on kind of central government for this, um, particularly ensuring that Māori communities can address their own well-being needs and provide their own services to their own people and also empowering uh, children and families and whānau to, yeah, have what they need to survive and to thrive um, and including, like, financial support but also, uh, like, having well-being needs met and, um, like, ways of addressing family violence that don't involve inflicting more harm on basically everybody involved in the situation. And then finally, it's to, I guess, really do the work of transforming the justice system, changing our justice processes, changing the way we treat uh, alcohol and other drug use, changing the way that we do, like, especially, like, dramatically increasing investment for rehabilitation and habilitation services and transforming our society as well, particularly dealing with racism and in wider society, but also kind of institutional and systemic racism in the justice sector, but also in, in health and education and everything. So what's the plan over the next few weeks uh, for Papa to try and forefront this and, and get some politicians to maybe start talking about a, a cross-parliamentary accord? Uh, we have, we're launching something on Monday, which I don't believe I'm allowed to talk about, but I am going to sprinkle it in there, keep an eye out. Um, we are looking at doing more media um, and really trying to push on the ground stuff, really encouraging people to talk to the people they know. We have a petition calling for the implementation of the Turuki Turuki recommendations um, and yeah, from here, everything is kind of going to ramp up and really trying to shift the conversation, both in like our personal lives, but also like the media conversation around how do we deal with this? Because at the moment, um, the right wing have essentially freedom to say whatever, you know, whatever wild, unnecessary, harmful thing they want with no pushback. And so, yeah, we're trying to pushback. We have on our website, we've got information for talking to people you know. We're going to put in some like help for if you want to contact politicians. Um, we've got some advice for like writing letters to the editor and stuff like that for newspapers. Um, and yeah, we also just want to hear from people like what would it mean to you to have a just different justice system? Like what do you want our justice system to look like? Because it is something that even if you never interact with it yourself or would never have a need to, like what our justice system, justice system does has a very real impact on your life because it impacts, yeah, all of our society. And we don't have to do it the way that we're doing it now. Yeah. Thanks for running uh, through that. And you just mentioned there the way in which the right-wing political parties are just able to get away with all kinds of wild shit. Um, when they're talking about crime and they can basically use it as a a political media tool. They'll release a piece of PR 
um, because they feel like they're not getting enough headlines. Uh, they'll say something absolutely outrageous. Um, you know, you've said most a lot of the stuff that we're currently doing, we have decades of information saying it doesn't work. And what right-wing parties will often do is announce something even worse uh, that follows in those footsteps but takes it to a uh, much more extreme place. And we saw that happen uh, over the weekend last, so seven days ago or so, uh, from the ACT Party. Uh, they decided that they hadn't been able to drop enough uh, PR headlines directly onto front pages. And I, I assume this is just their policy, although I'm not sure how much actual detail there is because it's so ludicrous, uh, which is to treat 17-year-olds as if they're adults within the justice system. Uh, and, Mikey, you've you've worked um, in these spaces. What, I, I guess, what was your first response to the fact that they're trying to run that line? And I've, that's all I've got. <laughs> I mean, my first response was, what the fuck are these guys doing, I think? Um because if you talk to anyone who actually works in the area, if you talk to the people in the youth justice space, if you talk to the judges in the youth courts, they are all looking at the evidence of how, I mean, it's not a perfect system, but how effective it has been in certain ways and how they want to actually extend the age to 25 at least. And they've, you know, like Judge, um, what's his first name? Beecroft, Chief Justice for the Youth. Andrew. Andrew. Andrew Beecroft. Yeah. You know, um, if you hear him talk about it, he talks about how he wants to actually um, support these people if they do come into contact with the justice system again, with the courts again, to continue and expand that kind of youth justice, youth support up until they're 25, which is a total opposite. Well, I would, and also, which I've never heard of. Right? Right. Like, even as someone like involved in uh, politics and media, I've never heard that there's another side to this which is yeah. stunning in the first place. And I think like, you know, some of you kind of mentioned it before is, is that there, there is a lack of pushback on some of this stuff. And some of the hardest part when I think about it is the impact how neo, on the way neoliberalism gags us um, because um, Ara Taiohi, the um, peak body for the um, youth development workers who have done a lot of work in, in this space, all of their contracts are with the government and with the ministry. And it starts to, they, it feels very precarious to, for all of these people in roles that are highly specialized that are actually on the ground and working with them to reply and combat and counter the statements that act makes if that makes sense so you don't often hear it because most of it is just in the background work that's going on um not actually as often in the front of the media if that makes sense plus we also know like man the media will always spin the negative even when you're presenting a positive thing you know like the decades of disparity research which showed that independent of all other factors racism was leading to increasing the negative harmful health impacts on mari um, despite showing that it wasn't lifestyle effects, it wasn't just poverty alone, it was actually institutional racism. The media constantly just pushed the um, the lifestyle individual responsibility line, even though it was the actual opposite. Do you know what I mean? So even when we do kind of put stuff forward, it just gets twisted into the rhetoric. That's how yeah. fucking complicated as little. I don't know how I got to that conversation, but. Did that answer any part of no, that question? No, no, it didn't. But um, we'll keep we'll keep interrogating. <laughs> no, it, it, no, that was good. That was good. Yeah, because this act policy, it's 
you know, we expect like extreme rhetoric, right? Out of act, um, out of national sometimes when they really get onto their tough on crime bent. But this seems to be pushing the boat out to an extent uh, which I hadn't really seen before, just in terms of how unmoored it was from the research and from the reality of the outcomes that it was caused. And that's something that um, you're talking about as well, Finlay, is what what do people actually want, right? Like, what do you want from our justice system? Do you want more crime? Do you want more harm? Because this will undoubtedly cause that, right? Like, if we're criminalizing people younger, at a younger age, if we're, we're putting them into we're adult prisons, that's going to cause enormous issues. Have, what is the give us a <laughs> give us a deep dive on the research into all of that, Mikey? <laughs> Sorry, this well, is a bit of a joke because I told Mikey not to go and the research. do research, yeah. do a deep dive into the research. Um, but there's there's some information that you can um, share. Yeah, I mean, like like the research is pretty clear around. How you know young young people having contact within prison systems increases the likelihood of their ongoing engagement with, um, you know, uh, um, connections with the justice system. If that makes sense, so recidivism increases with the more contact you have with the prison system. And we also know that um, connection with that positive youth development framework type work within youth justice systems reduces that likelihood of. Um, people going on and, and con- continuing with some of that behavior. Um, and I mean, that that research is super there, you know. Um, I think probably what I have more experience with is is the actual, like, outcomes and experiences, you know, where um, the young people that I see in my clinic are, are some of them are coming from um, prison experiences and the way that's dramatically negatively impacted their lives is so immense and heartbreaking that it's just... Um, so obvious that the whole system is cruel and heartless and needs to be abolished if that makes sense you know and you mentioned you know the importance of housing um when people are coming out of prisons whereas i've I've had a number of people who've just their level of distress coming out of prison because of the trauma they experienced in prison is so high and then they're suddenly faced with homelessness because they have no housing options and the only future they can see for themselves is to be back in prison because at least then they had some security um, and we're having, you know, to manage this incredibly high PTSD trauma that they've experienced prior to prison, but in prison. Um, but now this current trauma of uh, of no supports, of no housing, of literally being homeless, and the only option they can see for themselves is to do something to go back for longer. You know, um, that's the that's the coal face of it. You know, the research cool. But also that's the core face of what we see, which is brutal, you know? Yeah, what was stunning to me in the way that uh, the ACT Party started running this line is just the complete and intentional uh, ignorance or elision of the abuse and state care um, stuff that's kind of been around for the last few years now and, and not really being talked about too much or having anything done about it by politicians that particularly has had a an incredibly negative impact on young people um in the justice system and and around it um you know we're talking about housing a lot of young people who go into the justice system end up in what what is the term for uh you know that kind of shared housing like youth facilities uh forensic residential residential yeah 
you know, these, these are places where people are, it's not just the harm of being within the institution, active harm by the people running these institutions um, that goes far beyond the other things we've been talking about. And if, if you look at the, you know, the recently, the, the I can't remember what the campaign is called, the End Homelessness or end youth homelessness campaign. I, I can't remember what they what they're called, but they you know they were publishing the stats. I can't remember the exact, but it was over seventy percent of young people in emergency housing um, have a history of experience within that care system. And the same is in terms of the youth justice, um, young people in youth justice. The vast majority of them have had contact with um, with the you know our care experienced young people. Um, because that's it, it's an immense not only whatever trauma might have ex- happened before their contact with um, with you know the um, protect the orangutanmariki services, but then also the trauma in there is immense. And then yeah, it's um, it's complex, and that's why the problem has to be at that you know baseline upstream stop. Um, you know we don't we're not seeing you know the ram rage epidemic that people are talking about. Um, it's all because of the upstream stuff, you know. Yeah, because as soon as someone interacts with the justice system, it gets worse, <laughs> right? Like, so the, the best and and you know, this should prevention should always be the thing that people talk about first, but it just seems to go out the fucking window when it comes to like these well trodden well, we, like we, the desire lines of tough on crime. Protect uh, prevention's not a politically sexy thing because how are you going to show that you've been successful in your three year period in, in government? You can't because the outcomes are fifteen years, twenty years down the line. You don't win votes. Um, all right, we're going to increase yeah um, family supports and we're going to increase. Um, supports to keep kids in school systems or whatever, because the outcome for that, no one's going to remember your policy 20 years ago that led to it, you know, it's, which is kind of how the people get away with repeating the same policies every time. Yeah. And this is such an issue. Where it feels like we're really coming to serious crunch in so many areas. Um, if our audience listened uh, to our episode from earlier in the week about education, it's exactly the same there. Everything is being predicated on this three-year term stuff at, at best, when there's at least a decade-long lag time, because that's when people exit the school system. It's immensely frustrating. Why Why do you think, uh, either of you, right-wing parties like ACT, um, and we haven't even got to like some of the shit that National's been talking about, why, why do they get to run this outrageous tough-on-crime line again and again and again? Because the, the media doesn't really have a... But they don't get anything out of this. Like you can say, oh, it's like clicks and like yada yada yada. I I I'm so over that as a justification. Like it's it's not. There's other news. Like just find something fucking ridiculous about a flying cat. Like it jumped on a hang glider. Like that's gonna get you more clicks. Or just lay into some of the people like pushing this absolutely non-scientific, like uh, damaging. Uh, dangerous rhetoric, get really angry on behalf of your audience, that's going to get clicks to the same extent. Uh, you've said, you know, we see this again and again. It's basically the the same lines a lot of the time. Uh, they'll do something like the three strikes law, you know, a, a failed policy from the United States, which ACT brought here and forced um, national to implement via forced and heavy inverted commas um, via coalition, and it failed here too. Why? 
why are they able to run out these failure lines, these outrageous, extreme policies, and nothing happens in the rest of the space? What, what, is, what is going on with the conversation? I think in part there's just, there's been decades of like almost myth-making around crime and around harm and like what it is and what we need to do. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit, I don't know what the word is, like, but we have so many like police procedural shows, both like fictional and then you've got things like Place 7 that like have a narrative of like, this is what crime is. This is what it looks like. It is something that, yeah, is this kind of, it's always something I guess done by other people. It's not something that it's a very kind of dehumanizing way of looking at it. And people don't really think about it as something that like realistically under the right conditions, like they themselves may do um, or like the people they love would do. It's yeah, very othering and very um, demonizing really. And so we have this kind of framework for it. So it's very easy to say, oh, well, we just need, you know, to have police with guns because I've seen, you know, however many TV shows where they've done that and they stopped it. You know, like there's, it's not necessarily like a conscious thought, like, oh, I remember that they did this in Criminal Minds and it worked. But I think like you've got these like pathways in your brain that have formed over being told a similar story again and again and again. And so you can kind of just run it in the media and people have this kind of assumed kind of expected, I guess, understanding of it that they don't necessarily understand, I think. Or I think more they do, if you have the conversation in the right way, I think people do, but I think it's very easy to make it a very narrow conversation about usually a very specific kind of crime that can only be dealt with, you know, in the rhetoric in a certain way. And we sort of end up, yeah, trapped in this kind of circular conversation where there is a lot of... I think fear being generated and so you don't really make good decisions when you're whether or not that fear is realistic almost I don't know that it matters too much um but like if you do feel like there is a real threat that you're going to be um a victim of some kind of crime like you're not going to be making necessarily a good decision about how you can actually prevent that because your brain isn't working and it's like full capacity. It's very like, yeah, kind of, you end up in sort of a one way narrow frame of mind, I think. Yeah. This is one of the things that frustrates me so much about the media coverage in particular. They're like, Oh, we're just reporting what people are saying. Yada, yada. Like, Oh yeah. Ram raids are like very exciting media. People love to see these videos. So we have to run them on our site. Just never any reflection about what that wall to wall coverage creates in the wider context never any responsibility taken for the ways in which it drives a conversation and that they are uh, creating the news and political space not just reporting on it and i think it just makes me really sick to the stomach uh to see because i feel like a lot of reporters and journalists must know that like on some level if they, if they think about it but the need to deflect the need to um, assume a position where they do not have responsibility for the outcomes of political actors who are piggybacking on the narrative space being created by our media outlets. Um, and, you know, there's a, that's a wide range of things. That's all the way from ZB or whoever um, who are actively trying to, to do this shit to, you know, some of the more anodyne reporting. Like, just don't. 
um <laughs> like or, or at least accept that there's a problem being caused here that needs to have some shift in the way that your organization or, or you as a reporter um are covering it because it's not tenable and it allows political parties like act to come out with this outrageous shit you know i, I briefly mentioned national before but earlier in the year they were talking about um boot camps again uh another drastically failed policy another policy that flies in the face of the abuse and state care uh review that's ongoing and and horrific that like those institutions are directly um implicated in um in the uh, abuse that's been happening um why why isn't the immediate question being asked when these when these charlatans run out these lines is yeah but what's the outcome of that going to be because one, one of the things which is i've really struggled with and maybe one of you can give um some context or some information about this we're, we're not at the level of the united states yet right like the the state's prison system is fully industrialized into um their labor systems in a way that has not occurred here yet uh, so there is a monetary, there is a profit motive in the US that we do not have this to the same extent here. It, it feels like a lot of our stuff is run more on that fair narrative and uh, that the institutional racism. We are not, you know, churning out huge numbers of license plates at, at very low cost for the private prisons. What is is the incentive that the right wing party is being driven by? Just the the fair incentive, like I think there's like two percent of votes in here. Like I, I just I, I really struggle to understand what their imperative is to to be using this. Um, is it that they also feel like this is just what they're meant to do? Um, I I like to I, I tend to use my um white cattle farmer in laws as my barometer as to what the rest of uh, New Zealand is like. Um, and every time we've been going down there for the past, what, what was it, year and a half that this like Ram Raid rhetoric has been on the news or so. And it's what they talk about every time. Oh, you're up in Auckland, so much crime there. You know, have you seen a Ram Raid and all of this sort of stuff? And like, number one is that I think it it actually has a lot of buy in with um, with their voter base. Like it is, some uh, you know, a, a bit of rhetoric that does kick in but i also think like when you look at how the discourse continues around it um you know people talk about oh we we don't need you know kids don't need hugs they need punishment and it, it there's a strong ideological attack on there that is like it actually is the anti-intellectual the anti-evidence and that kind of like there is a it, it is a wedge of an of an ideology you know that tries to sow doubt on some of these kind of more involves um, social interventions, whether it's the funding schools or properly funding family supports, that they are they actually oppose that as well. And this is the issue where they're trying to say, look, we've been doing youth justice system and now we have more RAM rates, therefore um, we should actually stop the youth justice system and, and the youth courts um, because of the failed liberal progressive policies. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it is all tied together. Um, and it does kind of, you know, that's that's the attitude that um, my in-laws give us when, when we go there, which is extra ironic because I know the kids who are doing ram raids. Part of my job involves interacting with the kids 
Um, I, and my partner works in forensic mental health, so has that uh, another very interesting insight into the justice system and how it intersects with with healthcare. And we, you know, as, as you're saying, Finley, the importance of those conversations. We have those conversations and inject the actual humanity back into them um, because I'm like, wow, well, you know, like you're you're talking about this dehumanized situation. Here's the human that I interact with and what they've been through and what they're managing and how I'm supporting them in ways that actually is stopping the behavior that, that they were doing. Um, and you know what would be great instead of putting more money into prisons, funding me properly. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, uh, and, we really and, should have announced that conflict of interest. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Give, me, give me money. No, you know, not me personally, but the system um, because yeah, we, we have seen the continued underfunding of youth development services since 2008, and we've lost the third space um, that young people were able to occupy in positive ways since 2008. And all of those funding cuts are contributing to some of what we see. So that, you know, um, but, but what, what, what I'm saying is that, that actually there, there is an audience that is really susceptible to this rhetoric. I don't think it's the rhetoric alone. I think it is actually just that, that spearhead of trying to dismantle what they see as the liberal progressive policies and liberal progressive ideas. You know, when I comment, you know, when I do my angry keyboard warrior stuff on Twitter, replying to this stuff, what I get is the the rhetoric that I receive from that is, oh, you're just an ideologically pushed. You've swollen this like liberalist agenda of being kind to people and blah, blah, blah. Um, that is the outcome of the rhetoric. That makes sense. Yeah. I know it's anecdotal, um, but it's stunning to me that you know got these people in the regions um, who have never experienced a ram raid, have never had a ram raid within a kilometer, like a hundred kilometers of them, or, or whatever. Who are like, oh, Auckland, big city of crime, you know? And again, that really just talks to the way in which this media narrative has filtered down. Like these are people who have never experienced this stuff. And yet they have this sense uh, that it's it's everywhere. How immensely frustrating. Um, you mentioned there, um, you know, funding is an issue. And I guess that's part of the uh, the reason why right-wing parties don't want to do anything about this as well. is because they don't want to do anything about anything. Because they don't, they don't want to tax people um, and they don't want to fund public services. Uh, and they want to make things bad enough that we can privatize it all. Like, I'd be very unsurprised if ACT don't come out with a let's get Circo to make a hundred private prisons and get them to uh, be factories for shine clothing or something like that, you know, before the election. There's this need on the right to undermine the idea of public services um, as well as actively do it whenever they're in government. Um, you know, Labour hasn't been too much better on that front. We've had, what, three years with a majority where they just have basically refused to fund things that they could have. And we've now moved into this bizarre space where we can't have that conversation either uh, because earlier in the week, Chris Hipkins ruled out taxing wealth or capital gains while he is leader of the Labour Party. Well, that won't be for much longer, Hipkins. Uh, <laughs> if if you're not offering anything in this campaign, you're going to be out. I, 
how many different areas, even just in justice, are underfunded at the moment, uh, or or in you know, youth health? That, that's a that's a question. It's not that's not rhetoric. <laughs> uh, uh, all of them. All of yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess with the you know, all the money really has gone into policing and prisons, and everything else is just kind of. Yeah, no need to worry about that. We will keep funneling money into a prison system that, you know, routinely breaches New Zealand and international human rights law, but we will not, uh, yeah, we won't fund health, we won't fund teachers, we won't. I mean, I'm from Otatahi. We have uh, half an empty hospital building because they wouldn't fund uh, the equipment for the wards and, like, yeah, won't. uh, I don't know. It's... There was a moment, and I shouldn't do this because I'm always disappointed. I have very low expectations of leader, but occasionally I'm like, <laughs> oh, we have a different leader. Maybe we won't have, maybe there's a possibility that, you know, they set up this whole thing under Ardern's leadership, you know, you know, wealth taxes. Like, oh, maybe they'll do it. And it's like, of course they didn't. I, for a moment, believed that they might. But yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, he said when he became leader that he wasn't going to play it this stupid game of ruling things out and here we are playing a stupid game you dumb idiot chris hipkins <laughs> yeah. it's it's, oh. it's so stupid like i it feels like one of the bigger missteps from a political leader you know yeah. like i i know that like luxon and seymour are like just spouting shit off on the daily and it's all it's all stupid but yeah as you said uh Hipkins said he wasn't going to play these kind of games. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to rule stuff in or out. Like I can only assume that they've done some polling that shows that a subsection of 0.5% of swing voters between National and Labour uh, are afraid of the Greens wagging the dog. Um, and he, he's been absolutely spooked by that. Because even Grant most, Robertson... Most huh? polling shows... I know. Well, Texas <laughs> supported... So when he's talking about reading the room, I don't know what room he's reading, but it's not. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's this tiny little room where you have like these United Futuresque, like <laughs> imaginary voters who are like pointing at a worm and screaming in joy um, as as the number goes up when Chris Hipkins uh, says that if those people should ever be in the 0.7% highest um, wealth holders, they will never be taxed. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it must be such a narrow piece of electoral calculus to make the system. Because again, this is a, this is an area where the public is pretty progressive on it. And yeah, I just, I really struggle to understand it. I, I don't I know, like, what Labour are going to be able to do if they're not going to be able to get more tax revenue at this point in history. I, I, I don't know. Like, I sometimes wonder if like what degree of support the public actually does have for these policies, because, you know, they, it's one thing to answer yes or no in a, in a poll thing, but when they, you know, whenever there is a new um, attack from national about something that they've labeled as a tax, even when it's not a tax, it does seem to affect poll numbers quite suddenly and quite dramatically. And they do seem to get a lot of mileage out of it. Now, one, you know, I just kind of wonder if actually, although people will support the idea in theory, it's really easy to sway them and make them think that something is really bad just by using the right rhetorical tools. And National is real good at doing that. And um, the media is really good at giving them space to do that. It. Real good at giving them space, you know. And Labour have 
very bad at fighting for anything that they seem to want. Um, what do you mean? That Taxes Love campaign was fantastic. Wasn't that Greens? Was that Greens? I don't know. Was it? I don't know. Everyone on the left is bad at it. Actually, the Greens have been better on it. Greens have been quite good at it, yeah, this time. Um, yeah, there's no – they say the cannabis referendum is a really good one. It's like we don't want to influence the debate, so we're not going to say anything about this, even though supposedly we all support the legalisation of cannabis. And then you stand there as national lie about it and you yeah. don't say anything because you can't – you have this idea that – influencing the debate is bad for some reason. Yeah, as and if yeah, you're not politicians. Yeah, like it is – your job is not just to implement policies. Your job is to, like, sell them to people. Because most people – like, if you really – like, 0.7% of the population. Like, it's very, very, very few people, all of whom have – I mean, a huge amount of money. <laughs> like, they're going to be fine. You know, like there's no most. I actually don't know if it's most people, but anyone earning under was one hundred and twenty-five thousand yeah. is going. That's most to people. Have, it's most people. Yeah, oh, I would yeah, yeah. easily like, a lot. <laughs> like, is going to be better off. So, like, how we? Yeah, it's it's such an easy sell, and it's so weird to be like, oh, we're going to rule out doing this thing, and I guess it's not their policy, but like, we're going to rule out this thing that. You know, the vast majority of people are going to benefit from, like, cash in hand at the end of the week. And also, we can fund everything else. But you're ruling it out because, I don't know, I mean... Because I something. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Because you don't want to be in government anymore? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's Maybe. too hard, man. It's a hard job. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet quitting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it, like it's real, it's, I, like it feels like it fits in with the other side of their rhetoric of um, wasteful government spending and mm-hmm. how that fits in with this stuff anyway, where they mm-hmm. try and claim that, you know, the, the alternatives to hard on crime is wasteful spending stuff anyway, or, you know, um, but like the biggest, it, it actually is the same problem. The reason why we have these projects and programs that aren't actually doing that well at the moment is because we're trying to implement that kind of like, Nordic level of social services with an American level of taxation. Mm. Um, and it just doesn't work. We're The services that are there to try and help young people that are trying to help reduce the stuff is so underfunded um, that we need to actually tax like a proper country. You know, yeah. um, and it just, it flies in the face of, you know, the wider rhetoric from labor and just in the discourse at the moment about everything being underfunded. Um, and in our midweek cast, um, we talked about this specifically in education, just how little money there was. We've got this issue in, in multiple sectors. There is there is no current way to fund this stuff. There just isn't. You're Like, it's even, we, we know the status quo isn't enough. What happens if you have to cut any of this? Like, things are, things are literally falling over. Like, but one, things just collapse. One of the other sides of that, though, is the models of funding is the is part of the problem. It, it, yeah. it, it's this neoliberal model of funding where things are funneled through all this management systems, especially yeah. in healthcare, and then they contract out to these little fragile little NGOs, you know. And that that's I, 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 like it's one of my concerns as well is that like there is actually really horrible neoliberal ways that other countries try and tackle some of what we've been talking about where if you if you say that you know we know that crime has this massive 
social cause. Um, and in Canada, instead of actually doing blanket funding of social welfare and family supports and stuff, they've instead um, used this neoliberal model contracting out private entities to do statistics to identify the individuals at four years old who are more likely to develop. No, they actually did it? Yeah, yeah. My mom used to work in... Minority Report. And so they, you know, they would say, okay, let's look at the statistics. So, you know, people um, are more likely to do violent crime if this, this, this... That's the stuff that Bill English wanted to bring in, like this uh, targeted stuff around Mm. social welfare. And, And that's, you know, that's... I'm not... Like, I suspect that that's the kind of response that we would get from that right-leaning government as well, because it takes it to that. It ignores the fact that there's a societal cause, and it looks solely at the individual unit, and then just um, targets interventions there through this for-profit model almost all the time, or funding some kind of, like, um, you know, other agency, instead of improved social welfare systems, improved supports for families who are struggling, improved a- a- alcohol and, and drug addiction supports, improved, I don't, did I say education and then healthcare? And you, instead of something that would actually benefit everybody, they do something that hardly benefits anybody mm-hmm. and, and isn't even that effective. Benefits the owner of that business. Yep. Yeah. It's so frustrating. And, I, and the thing is, oh yeah. I was just going to say, like, I, 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 it's this really complicated thing where I both believe that we're underfunded and believe that we would have so much more funding available if we didn't weren't stuck in this neoliberal yeah. approach. Yeah. Um, and and we actually, it's not just the funding that we need to change; um, it's also we need to get rid of How this whole. Yeah, and that's one of the like terrifying things is like where where does the conversation go from here, and and what are the outcomes of that? Because now the only thing on the table, if something needs to be drastically funded, like if it needs money, is oh, what are we going to cut? You know, um, or how how are we going to save money in this space? Maybe by privatizing or contracting out to people who can do it cheaper, as opposed to looking for new sources of funding, uh, of which tax really is the the only like decent tool that the government government has and i just feel like labor have now put themselves in a position where there's there's no argument they can make they're not going to do like either option how do they start like if if act continue to push this oh we need to cut more stuff um so that we can fund or or national could come out and say oh we're going to fund education better and you know they have no way to do that i want to be very clear about this national offering like 300 things that they can't fund that they because they're also proposing tax cuts. Like everything on the table from national is is unimplementable, um, and no one's talking about that. It's it's absurd. But Labor can't say they're going to fund that either because as soon as Labor announced something, the first thing the media asks is how much is that going to cost. Like Im- imagine if that was asked of national. And I you know I don't want that to be part of the conversation, but I at least want it to be balanced um, <laughs> in terms of how we're reporting that. And and Labor are now oh we'll uh, do a, a neutral change where we take some money out of this other really important public service and put it over here. Like it's just, it's coming to down to increasingly um, bizarre and minimal uh, accounting tricks to find a way to feed children. It's yeah. So what, what, what do we think? Um, is this, is this, is this going to make Labor's polling go up somehow? Is, is, has Hipkins got numbers somewhere showing that this is going to work for him? Or do we think 
that the Greens really have a, a shot here to grab a whole bunch of uh, left Labour voters. I think the Greens, I, yeah, I hope the Greens have a shot, really. And I think there is always the problem of the, oh, well, I do prefer the Greens and I do like the Greens policies, but I'm worried that it'll be a wasted vote. And it's like, it is 2023. We all know what MMP is. You're tweeting about politics. Like, you're engaged enough to do that. Like, you don't, we know how it works. You can vote for Greens. You can vote for Te Pati Māori. Like, you don't have to vote. Like, it, it doesn't have to be a two-horse race. And kind of the whole point was that it shouldn't be. And so, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I've got some anecdote if you want, but it's kind of on the Always. same level. It's it's the it's on the level of the woke cafe anecdote. Oh wait, maybe no, no. Yeah, let's do it <laughs> with, with that caveat. No. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I just because um, I was I flew down to I was I had a meeting in Wellington with the union stuff. We trust um, you, Mikey. We trust you not to make it up. Yeah. Well, this is I'm not making it up, but I but it's a secondhand information. Okay. All right, be, all right. Someone is, else could be. Someone else, man. So I don't know, but a colleague of mine who was going down, flying down for the for the our union nurses union meeting, um, and she flies enough, so she was in the Kuru lounge, and she overheard all these fellas in suits with bald heads talking about how they've always voted national, but they just don't trust Chris Luxon. Oh, this is this is like I've heard so many anecdotes about this. So many, and I what and do I, I trust them about? Yeah, they just they don't trust them. And they don't, ah. th- you know, I think the way he, but I think there is actually, there are people who labor is like mm. going to appeal to with some of this stuff. And mm. I don't think that's good <laughs> in <laughs> some ways. Um, but, you know, they, they, there is, you know, a net a opposition leader who is uninspiring mm. people who usually support. And if they can kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't think it's the right thing, but I, I don't think, I think they, I think they have some reasons for doing what they're doing is what, is what I mean. The question for me is if these um, business types are more likely to just go and vote yeah, for that. Yeah. Mm. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. the weird part is that it's act and labor who are vying for people who are going to be not voting for Chris Luxon, you know, and that's a weird, yeah, that's yeah. a weird group to try and win over. Yeah. yeah. My Waikato farmer Families are split on that themselves. So I was real impressed. Um, the other election, they were all like, we would never vote for Judith Collins. And we really like Jacinda. I was like, who are you people? Because you still have a national billboard out front of your house. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're now going to vote for Labour Party. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But then there's a few of them who are, who are, who are like, no, they're going to vote for ACT. Yeah. Mm. It's just a real, real. It, it, there's not a. There's not always logic behind how voters make decisions. No. What? <laughs> well, um, let's let's leave it there <laughs> in terms of the discussion. <laughs> yeah, lots to think about, and it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how Labour actually begins to campaign because it's a slow fucking start. Um, yeah. um, they must have something to put on the table. Uh, but I also hope that the Greens and Te Pāti Māori um, start to get a, a fair bit more media coverage <laughs> um, and not continually through the frame of landlords um, and yeah. the business association or whoever. So we covered a whole bunch of stuff today. Uh, 
Finlay, if people want to get involved with uh, the Papa campaign, uh, Care Not Cages, how can they do that? Uh, we have a website that kind I'll of put has it in the description. everything you need to know. It is carenotcages.nz. Um, Fantastic. Th- there's a bunch of different ways you can a- take action, um, which includes the petition, includes um, writing in to media. Um, we're going to update it to have some things to write into politicians as well. Um, you can tell us what you want from a justice system. You can sign up to do some art to help kind of share people's stories and people's visions. There's lots of things. Um, Fantastic. But, yeah, a big part of it is just changing, I guess, the way that people think about it on, like, a very personal level. Like, that's a really big part of campaigning, that, like, face-to-face conversation yeah, with people that you know and you have kind of a relationship with. Yeah, and I think it's a, you know, I, it's a message that we talk about a lot. Um, is that these changes happen when you talk to people around you. You know, I I cry about the media um, and and the way those <laughs> narratives are created a fair amount. Um, I'm definitely known for being antagonistic about that. Uh, how how do we how do we cut through that ourselves? Just go and do stuff. Go and talk with people. Uh, share this podcast, and yeah, just have those conversations. Like, we, we don't all have to be uh, shut off about this. The way it's being framed in media and politics isn't the be-all and end-all. We we can get change if we organise around it. Um, and if we talk and discuss it, and it might take a while, and it needs to happen a lot faster, but uh, I think there is some hope there. Hey, thank you so much, both of you, for, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's been another episode of One of 200. Uh, everything in the description as usual Uh, go and check all of that stuff out we'll catch you midweek we are hopefully going to have someone on from Greenpeace to talk about the climate shift campaign so keep an eye out for that as well see you later And I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say When the criticism cost me all to stay Cause I live amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain